Creeps, that's right. We're back. Hey. How's it going? What up, mother bitches? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right in time for spooky season. Yeah, it's been a long time since we've been on the mic together for a regular episode of the Epic Film, guys. I'm Justin. I'm Jeronimus Prime. I'm Ooh, I like Biretti. And yes, we are back just in time to kick off spooky season. Uh, you have heard some crossovers that we have thrown your way in the past couple weeks. Uh, some of them are not even out yet, but we ho- uh, actually went on to uh, Stevie from Brain Rot Show again. He's from the UK. He's fucking awesome. We did Lamberto Baba's Demons with him, and we had an absolute Woo! blast. Um, I went and guested on PVD Horror to do a monthly recap with them. Uh, myself and Brady went on screen with Ryan C. Showers. Mm-hmm. Like it feels like a month ago. That episode has not been released yet, but be on the lookout for that sometime in September. And I also joined Dissect That Film for Godzilla 90. Godzilla! Yeah. The best Godzilla movie, motherfuckers. Um, but yeah, we're finally back to do a mini would debate that. Many, many yeah, would I, debate I was going to say, I don't, listen, I don't know about that. <laughs> listen, listen. That's why I'm telling them to listen to the episode so they can hear me talk about it. Um, I know. I know what you mean. Uh, but yes, we're here to talk about something for you, Brady, that you've been looking forward to for quite You won't some shut time. the fuck yeah. up about it, honestly. I really won't. It's, yeah. it's my wheelhouse. Your wheelhouse. Look how excited you got. You even like just jumped up out of your chair all giddy and shit. Like I had perfect I had perfect posture. <laughs> Are you still wearing no a nice reason. Lion Kill shirt? No, I've got uh, uh, Gutter Garbs uh, Friday the 13th Part 7. Oh, oh well that's shit. why Cavity yeah. Colors won't sponsor us, Brady. So thanks a lot for that. No, you can keep that right in there. <laughs> yeah, we're <I'm> just... <laughs> I'm just fucking around, you motherfuckers. <laughs> Listen, all these motherfuckers out there getting sponsorships, they wear shit from all the different companies. All you motherfuckers are the dick lickers. I got nothing. Yeah, yeah, that was good. That was good. Uh, but we are going to be doing a top five Stephen King film adaptations countdown. But before we actually get to the actual countdown, today, a new trailer dropped. Trailer number two for The Exorcist Believer. And ladies and gentlemen, I felt like it was totally necessary. It was a requirement for us to sit down and talk about it. And Jeremy, you just watched the trailer. So I'm going to throw it to you first on your initial thoughts on the Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned that a new one came out. Because you, you were uh, pre-show, you were like, yeah, we're going to talk about Exorcist the Believer. And I'm like, okay. Yeah, I've, I saw that trailer several times before movies that I didn't. You know, I didn't want to see the trailer ever again. Right. And you're like, no, 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 a, a new one came out. So I literally just watched it minutes ago. And it's a better trailer. Like, honestly, I wish this was the trailer that they released first. Because I feel like more people would probably have been hot on this movie had they dropped this one first. It, it The one thing that I immediately noticed is that the colorization of the film and obviously, like, Certain cinematography things so close to the Halloween movies that David Gordon Green directed. Like, literally, as they were, like, as the camera was panning down the street, it literally looked like it could have been a shot out of one of his new Halloween movies. Um, Very, very similar look and design to to this. Um, You know, it's it's cool um, seeing Ellen Bernstein uh, back in there again. there were some things throughout the trailer that I, I, I guess I won't spoil, um, but I kind of, watching it, it kind of alluded to one character not being around anymore, which I found interesting. Um, I think maybe that's a bad decision if that's the route that they're going with it. Um, but yeah, it was it was a better trailer, and I, I gotta say that the uh, the guy playing the dad in the movie, he's really good. Like, he he's the part of, of both trailers that I've, I've really connected with, and I'm like, okay, like, I like this dynamic uh, for this movie. Do I think that this movie is going to be amazing and something that I love? I really don't. Um, I think it's going to be decent. I think it's not going to be a bad film, and it's not going to be a good film. I think it's going to be fine. I think it's going to be entertaining. Um, So I don't know if you guys saw Chris Nelson's 
uh, Instagram post recently, but uh, he was like, just give the movie a shot, shut up and eat your popcorn. And I, I feel that, you know, as much as horror fans aren't looking forward to this one, very much, how many of us are going to see it? Well, we're definitely going to see it. We fucking have a podcast where we discuss movies, so um, we really don't have a choice in the matter. But, uh, you know, I think it's going to be fine, and it was definitely a better trailer, but it didn't make me go, holy fuck, I got to watch this movie. What did you guys think? Uh, I'll go next. I don't know, man. Like, you kind of summed it up, but first trailer that came out, I really wasn't impressed. I had a lot wrong with it. This one is definitely a better trailer, you know? Um, but I just, I get the first, like, the original Exorcist is a character-driven drama that wasn't supposed to have a lot of horror in it, but ultimately did. Like, the first Exorcist is scary, you know? And, like, watching this trailer... It's, it seems like they're going for that drama aspect where it's like, cool, let's focus on characters, let's do drama, and it doesn't work in the trailer, and it just falls flat, and nothing about it seems like it's going to scare me. It's like, we're going to put all the best moments of this film in this trailer, like every trailer does nowadays, but like nothing hooked me. Nothing made me think, like, cool, like I really need to go see this. All I thought was all right, like, we have a podcast, I'm gonna go see it, like, what can I, like, where's the silver lining in here? Like, I just, it doesn't look good to me, and, like, maybe it's because I'm biased against David Gordon Green, but, like, dude, come on. If you're making a fucking exorcist film, make it fucking scary. Make it believable. Like, this is just another fucking horror movie with two kids in a hospital, and they go missing, like, that. that's all it is. That's all it is to me. So Hollywood, Hollywood, not to jump back in there, but I'm, I'm going to jump back in there. Hollywood yeah, thinks it. that Exorcist movies is a demonic voice like this with contact lenses and facial abrasions. Like, mm -hmm. I didn't kick the fucking table. I don't know who that was, but it wasn't me that this was my time. Phone. There my it bad. is. There it is. It wasn't me, motherfuckers. Uh, I had my nose but, there. Sorry. Yeah, so Hollywood thinks that Exorcist movies is doing this voice and having, like, facial abrasions, and color contact lenses, right? And in this case, girls with big-ass foreheads. No, nah, that's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's true. Uh, it's true, though. Um, so I don't know, man. Like, it's like, and then it's like, Exorcist movies have to be like, body contortion, and vomiting, and bodily fluid, and spitting things. Like, I don't know, give me something different. Like, it's kind of like... How Jaws laid the foundation for shark movies. Every shark movie since then, what what are they chasing after? They're chasing after the glory of Jaws. Exorcist yeah. movies, all of them are chasing after the glory of the Exorcist. I have yet to see, and I could be wrong, you guys, let us know some great Exorcist-themed movies, but I have not seen an Exorcist-themed movie that has blown my fucking socks off well i can actually say it didn't blow my socks off and we didn't cover it on the show um but the pope's exorcist is now on netflix and i watched it and it was actually pretty fun i thought it was really entertaining um but it, you know to your Similar point tropes, there, Jimmy, though? it did exactly all those yep. things it did all of those tropes um i would dare say the visual aspect to those things was far more impressive than what I'm seeing here in the trailer for Exorcist Believer. I mean, I think it was more on the side of like what a Hammer film would do, um, really over the top, but the visual nature of it was really exciting. And of course, Russell Crowe's like hamming it up the whole fucking movie, and there were some really scary parts to it. Also, it's him legit just riding around on a fucking Vespa the whole movie, which is hilarious, especially <laughs> considering his size <laughs> on that Vespa. Um, the trailer here for me uh, did very little more than the first trailer. I actually liked the, the pacing of the first trailer better and the use of the original theme music as it built better within the footage. Uh, this, to me, just came off more like it could be a Conjuring movie yep. or part of that universe, if you will. It just seemed like everything about those movies that everyone's so used to. That's not David Gordon Green's fault. He knows to make a movie like this within today's terms, he's going to have to ape some of that shit. So that's not necessarily a bad thing, but at the same time, it doesn't ring true for an Exorcist movie. But what you just said, Jeremy, just nailed it on the head. 
what really is an exorcist movie um you could do anything you want with it now at this point so i would love to see some originality here we've already seen like the exorcist spoofed a number of fucking times uh you know so it's to make this serious and to make it something that people are going to connect to I, I i just hope the character work is really good the acting to me so far that i've seen doesn't look all that great <laughs> Um, a lot of the line delivery is really yeah. stiff and comes off as like really cheese ball. Where, dude, the one thing about the original Exorcist, you know, Regan is a character, and Linda Blair and everyone involved, the acting was superb and, and believable, and you believed in those characters, and it felt like real life. We'll have to see how it turns out. Yes, we are going to be there. I'll give anything a shot, um, but my expectations are non-existent. I just, I just hope that I go in. And just enjoy a decent if, movie. If somebody you know, wants to make an exorcist movie that impresses me, have a movie where someone gets possessed by a dinosaur. And then I'm there. <laughs> All right. Listen, Universal, if, if you're listening to this show right now, that's where you need to take the fucking Jurassic World franchise. It's just yeah. Jurassic World exorcism. The, somebody, Jurassic World somebody believer. Somebody jumps on a fucking kitchen counter. They're like, <laughs> the body and the blood. <laughs> They're walking around Shoot her! Roaring. <laughs> oh, god, my you, god. You just... Oh, my god. What a revelation, man. That's... I would love to see that. I'd like to see that way more than the fucking shit Universal is pumping out. Dude, the T-Rexorcist! Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude. It's going on a fucking t-shirt oh or something. God. Oh, my uh, god, dude. Shit. The T-Rexorcist. <laughs> that, was, that was a moment of... Bil- brilliance right there oh i'm just i'm just i'm just i'm just spitting i'm just i'm just throwing things out man you know that that would be (laughs) amazing but (laughs) come october you'll hear from us what we think of the movie and and who knows maybe brady maybe you'll even do double duty for the people that like reading your reviews okay on top of you know recording maybe you'll write one too and you'll be on the show and we'll be able to have two sides because we know how you like to spit on movies, and I mean spit as in like you know spit like a rapper type thing, not like spit on them like fuck that movie type shit. Right. But it is a David right. Gordon Green movie, right. so who knows how you're gonna react? Maybe you will go probably to the shitty and spit yeah. on the poster and get your ass kicked out. And be like, sir, you can't spit on the posters. I'm gonna do a lot to that poster. I'm gonna tell you that right now. <laughs> um. Okay. Are you saying that the new Exorcist movie is going to turn you on? I don't, I don't even want to go there. All right, fuck it. Um, we are going to start our countdown. So, Brady, this is your wheelhouse, like you said. Stephen King is like your shit, man. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, we, we know we know that Jeremy has a, has, has a vendetta against the band nah, man. Stephen King. I'm, 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 <laughs> hey, the, the guy is a genius. Uh, I'll never take that away from him. I love his work. I had one bad experience with him. You know, it is what it is. Shit happens. Are you saying that you've... You've forgiven Stephen King. For, have you put like, this? Didn't flip, this didn't he flip you have off? Have you put this to bed, Jeremy? I mean, have you seen Stephen King's face? God hasn't forgiven him for oh. bringing that abomination oh. into existence. Um, son, Joe. Jesus Christ. Safe. Jesus. Whew. They're rich. That's for sure. Oh my God! I just think about that fucking trailer where he's like, it's like Maximum Overdrive, and he's like, no one can make a Stephen King movie like Stephen King. I'm like, that motherfucker looks insane. But, <laughs> but no, like all that cocaine, yeah, dude, all that cocaine, those fucking Bugs Bunny ass teeth. Um, yeah. All right. <laughs> you're like, uh, that's that's my god. That you're. Come on, you're, that's that's my idol. That's my that's my savior. You're faming. My... Uh, yeah. No. So like, I had a bad experience meeting the guy. You know, it is what it is. I've had a hundred great experiences meeting other people. So I, I chalk it up to it is what it is. I still appreciate his work. Yeah. It's big of you. Yeah. Just like his teeth. Um, <laughs> yeah, so like Justin said, you know, our whole episode tonight revolves around the king of horror, Stephen King. Uh, I mean, he's got a fucking career spanning over five decades. His influence in the horror community is undeniable. All in all, his books have sold over 400 million copies worldwide. But tonight, we're going to be digging into our favorite film adaptations of his work. So, starting off with number five, I want to throw it to Jeremy. What's your number five? Uh, my number five is about a vampire that travels in a tiny airplane going from place to place 
mm-hmm. feeding on people, all while a scummy journalist is always one step behind uncovering who is this person, what is this person, is it really a vampire? Um, I love Nightflyer. I it kind of personifies the exact kind of horror film that I like. I like movies that really take their time. I love movies that they don't fucking shove a monster in your face every chance that they get, that they have the patience and they withdraw from putting that monster. They make you want it, man. I fucking, I love those movies, man. Um, and Night Flyer is certainly, you see glimpses of the vampire throughout the movie. And boy, oh boy, what a fucking design on this vampire. I think it's one of the most gnarly-looking vampire designs ever done from KNB Effects Group. That's Robert Kurtzman, Greg Nicotero, and Howard Berger. Man, those guys knocked it out of the fucking park with the design on this vampire. You literally, spoiler alert, <clears throat> you don't see the vampire in all of his glory until, like, one of the last frames of the movie, and he's fucking terrifying. And... Yep. I just, I, I really love this movie, and I feel like it's one of those movies that every time I watch it, I love it even more. I remember, I remember catching it on HBO when I was a kid and being super, super creeped out by it. Um, and there's just something about the fact that it's a vampire that is a pilot, that he's like, all right, well, I'm just going to fly around and feed on people, and that's <laughs> that's that's how he doesn't get caught is because he doesn't, keep stalking and killing in one set location and i think that's brilliant yeah no i mean night flyer is like i mean it came out in what 97 i think 97 yeah. um but it's just so good as a vampire movie because it makes sense like when you think of like vampires it's like all right at this point what can you do outside of like the traditional dracula in transylvania coming across the ocean it's like it makes sense to have a vampire be a pilot who flies from destination to destination, just being a serial killer and like picking up people and a journalist following it. Like it's a great plot. Um, You know, when they interviewed Miguel Ferrer uh, for the role, he was on the stand and Mick Garris approached him and was like, Hey, like you're being considered for this. And he was like, I don't really see a story in this. Like, I don't see a full-length movie. Um, but he's like, I read it anyways um, to see how it went. And he said, uh, I spoke to Steven, and I spoke to Mark, and I got the script, and I thought, this is a really, really ingenious adaptation. And then it just went from there. And, like, this is, I think, not to get on my nice soapbox here. I was about to say, dude, Steven- my, my boy Brady is going. I'm here for you. Let's go. Where, Take where me Stephen on the journey. King- where Stephen King really shines for me personally are his short stories. Like that's really his sweet spot where I get scared the most. Like we've, we've all seen the boogeyman. I'm the only one who really liked it. I never saw it. So, Oh wow. Okay. All right. Poser. Um, so, but it's like, I, I just feel like his short stories are really where he, he finds his stride and with the Night Flyer, I think that shows, and it's a really successful adaptation. So I'm really glad you picked it because you and I have talked about it many times, and I, I, I just love it. It's a great one, man. It, it really is. Yeah. All right, Justin, number five. Number five is one that I expect will be showing up on your list, maybe much higher. I don't know. Like, uh, you know, when we discussed doing this countdown, I stuck with primarily horror just because we are – you know, in the opening of the spooky season, we're kicking this shit off hard. So uh, my pick is from 1985, starring a extremely drunk Gary Busey and Corey Haim in a wheelchair, uh, Silver Bullet. I know you're a fan of this as one as well, Jeremy. You actually did visit the locations. I remember. Yeah, the bridge, I, I, yeah. right? So I uh, I played my band played a show um, in the area that it was filmed in, and let me tell you what, it was a pain in the fucking dick finding bridge and being able to get access to it but uh yeah i went there and and took some pictures on the bridge which was really cool yeah so this one to me is like you know yearly staple you watch it fourth of july i think Corey hames fantastic in the movie uh you know the werewolf design you could say what you want about it but you know i (laughs) i love the build-up to it you know i love 
the atmosphere around it. Um, yeah, it looks like a fucking bear, yeah. but who, who cares, you know? So my number five is Silver Bullet. Yeah, good one. Um, it's funny. Actually, my number five is also Silver Bullet, uh, 1985 <gasps> horror thriller film. I didn't think you'd have it this low, man. Um, I thought, because I, I know how much you love this movie. Yeah, it's 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 one that I love. It's one I have to watch multiple times across a year. Like you said, I typically think of it more as like get like this month, like September, getting into to Halloween, like the spooky season, like I'll watch it. Um, and sorry... Uh, you guys, I have a toilet paper at my nose. I got a nosebleed halfway through this. Um, but you were that fucking excited. I was about so Stephen excited that, that I fucking miraculously got a nosebleed. Been hitting that um, cocaine bear, dog. I was like, I got to get into Stephen King form. <laughs> I got to have some fucking coke. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, it's I don't know. Like I, when it comes to vampires and werewolves, we just talked about the Night Flyer. But like werewolves are like my thing. Like I love werewolf movies. Um, For whatever reason, werewolf movies are is a hard genre to crack. There's very few great werewolf movies out there. Exactly. Uh, so whenever I saw this one on AMC Fear Fest, like the little musical trills, like whenever somebody's about to die, like well, I can think of the scene where <laughs> his name is Brady, the young kid who is uh, Corey Hames' friend that gets killed when he's flying the kite. Like there's a little... And then his dad comes into the bar and he's like making a whole scene, but like it's just it's so good, and it shouldn't be because like let's be honest, it's a kid, a paraplegic, in a wheelchair that is motorized by his drunk uncle, who is played by Gary Busey. Like this should not be. Who's who's clearly on cocaine as well while making the movie. Be a good movie. But it is, and you have Everett McGill in there as the fucking preacher, and spoiler alert, the werewolf, who, like, that scene where you find out that he's the fucking werewolf is so good. Like, I just, I, this movie is, like, it has to be on my, my rewatch list every year. So, I, I, it's number, number five for me. Wow. Yeah. Crazy. So, Jeremy, we're right back to you for your number four. Number four is a sequel to The Shining. Dr. Sleep. Ooh. Uh, interesting. I did not expect this one to be on your oh, list, dude, man. This, this was a home run for me. Um, seeing it in theaters, it blew away my expectations. Um, I didn't know kind of what to expect from this. I hadn't read the novel. And, you know, the fact that they connected it to Stanley Kubrick's The Shining um, was amazing and surprising because I know Mike Flanagan, I had read interviews with him that, you know, he knows that, that Stephen King didn't necessarily love Kubrick's The Shining, and here he is adapting Stephen King's book and connecting it to the movie that Stephen King doesn't like. Um, I, I think was kind of a brave move, but I think that uh, from what I read, he kind of got the blessing. But Yeah, he did. Apparently, King was totally cool with it and understood. Yeah, I mean, dude, it's it's The Shining is beloved, and if you're making a sequel to The Shining. I feel like if they wouldn't have acknowledged Kubrick's The Shining and not done a direct sequel to it, people would have, like, the average moviegoer would have been confused by it a little bit. But, um, I mean, they nailed it uh, from the, the casting of of Wendy to Doc Holleran. I mean, like, they really, really nailed the casting in this movie, and Ewan McGregor was flawless as Danny Torrance. Like, absolutely flawless. Um... The movie was a lot more brutal than I expected it to be. Like, the scene with the, the little baseball-playing kid was... It felt like it went on for 20 minutes. Like, it just yeah, was excruciating yeah. to watch. Rose the Hat, man. It's... For me, it's it's very rare for there to be a new horror character introduced that I'm like, that's kind of fucking iconic, man. Um, And that's what Rose the Hat was. I mean, she was absolutely terrifying like a freddy krueger type not over the top like that you know what i mean but like just iconic performance oh amazing charisma oh, too the man. charisma i mean uh the wardrobe design her eyes uh even the why well, hello there like just the way that she talked kind of like how uh people talked in golden age hollywood movies like very overly accentuated dialogue 
Um, she very much gave me what I like to call a fear boner. I'm like, I'm scared of you, but my weenie weenie is wiggling a little bit too. Like, I've got a fear boner going on. Um, Just fantastic. I loved how they wrapped things up at the end of the film. And, man, it just, it was such a treat to get to see this on the big screen. So, just to go into, like, what you were saying about how King really disliked Kubrick's version of The Shining and that's like known fact and Flanagan coming in. So there's a there's a couple quotes and some backstory with that. So King is known to dislike the adaptation of The Shining. We all know it. Um, but basically because of omitting several aspects of the novel that were personal to him, such as like alcoholism and its role in dis- the disintegration of family. And then Flanagan read that as more of an examination of his fear of what alcoholism could do to his family. And he wrote himself hope and sacrifice at the end none of that is present in kubrick's film um that was a bridge too far of a personal level for him right so during early talks king's two stipulations for dr sleep adaptation were that the overlook would not be present and that the novel's ending would be retained and so king initially rejected flanagan's pitch of bringing back the overlook um but changed his mind after flanagan pitched a scene within the hotel towards the end of the film that served as his reason to bring back the overlook so upon reading the script king was so satisfied with the result that he even said everything that i ever disliked about the kubrick version of the shining is redeemed for me here Boom. and then flanagan later revealed that there were two scenes that convinced king to accept his idea the first scene involving dan talking with the bartender in the form of jack which was not adapted from either novel and was fully written by Flanagan before finishing his first draft. And the second was the ending, which directly adapts the final act of the Shining novel that was heavily omitted from Kubrick's film, with Dan and Abra taking the place of novels Jack and Danny, as well as the Overlook burning down due to the overloaded boiler. Thus, this film can be seen as the bridge for King's Doctor Sleep and The Shining, incorporating events from both novels. So Flanagan goes on record saying, almost everything Dan does is Jack's story from the original novel, and that he really wanted to try to bring back the ending from The Shining novel and give it to Dan. So I think that all goes into why Stephen King was so okay with this version of Doctor Sleep. Because it really kind of, in his mind, probably did justice to what he thought was a slight from Kubrick, because then we all know in the 90s he tried to do his own version of The Shining, which, which just was not good. I mean, a lot of people think of that as the superior version. Strangely enough, I, I don't know why because it's it's not good. I need I need to, wa- anyways, I need to watch. It's it the again. one Mick Garris did. <laughs> <laughs> Justin, what's your number four? Oh, number four. This turns forty this year. Oh boy, as do I. And <laughs> y'all both my old. favorite horror director of all time directed it. It's John Carpenter's Christine. Mm. Yes. Um, love the fucking score. I love Keith Gordon's performance. I love how it's about an old car that, you know, basically makes this kid go overly obsessed with it and it becomes possessed with it and um, turn fucking super dark and evil. I think it's one of Carpenter's best films. And, um, you know, I'm not necessarily as familiar with the original story, per se, but in terms of film... I've always loved this one. It's one of my favorites, so it had to be Christine. Yeah, uh, funny enough, Christine is the first Stephen King novel I ever read, so um, it might come up later. Don't you have an OG version? Uh, not yet, because it costs like oh, okay. I found one that costs six hundred dollars. Uh, That's what it but, was. Uh, I remember you were talking I about said, getting one. Maybe not. Um, I do have a first edition of Salem's Lot, though. Anyways, uh, my number four um, is a newer one much like Jeremy's last pick. Uh, it's from 2017, and it's uh, Andy Muschietti's It. Um, remake, readaptation, whatever you want to call it, reimagining. Um, but essentially, one of the things that I loved about It, Stephen King's story, is that it's a coming-of-age story, right? And if you go outside of the horror genre, Stephen King really shines in writing children who are just in their their prime years right so like they have really nothing like nothing happening they have their whole lives ahead of them and still showing this fear this this who knows what's going to happen right and so with it those are his main characters and and with Muschietti's adaptation uh 
it was a big event for my friends and I because I was like, all right, I don't like clowns. I really don't like the story um, because it scares me, but I need to go see it. So we all went out and we all saw it. Um, and I actually saw this the year before meeting Justin, but I remember being so excited to go see this in theaters, uh, even though I hated clowns. And what it does so well is that it succinctly captures the close bond that child characters, the Losers Club, have. And I think that this partially has like a Stranger Things and the Duffer Brothers to thank because he definitely tapped into that same type of 80s nostalgia. Um, but that's exactly what this movie needed to be made and i think that the horror aspects fire on all cylinders i think the cast is incredible especially with bill skarsgård as pennywise which is much different than tim curry that we all know and love from the miniseries but where curry's pennywise is more of like that serial killer-esque figure who you could understand being able to kind of like lure children where you want to go with the balloons and the hijinks skarsgård's is like grotesque and animated and over the top at points where if i was a kid seeing this clown I'd get the fuck out of there. But sure, um, you know, there are some major issues with the CGI, but overall, the, the movie is incredible and it's just packed full of emotion and nostalgia. And the scene at the end when they're all cutting their hands and their blood oath is just an almost perfect depiction of the best summers we all spent as kids with our friends. You know, what's, what's funny is that I feel like Pennywise from 2017 is... Uh, the younger generation's new Freddy Krueger because my my daughter, um, it's so funny, man. She's seven, and literally, there's so many things that are. It's like a mirror to me from when I was her age. Um, like, I see so much of myself in her. Uh, the way that Freddy Krueger, I was the moment I found out what Freddy Krueger was, I was instantly enamored with the idea of this character and. I loved it, and it, it's just something that I wanted to talk about, and I wanted to know more about who is this Freddy Krueger character, and I wanted uh, more, more, more. Now, my daughter, she's obsessed with Pennywise to the point where I took her to Target a couple weeks ago, and, you know, she had birthday money and stuff, and I'm like, you know, buy whatever you want, and I, she was like, can we go look at the scary toys? I said, yeah. And they they had Tim Curry's Pennywise and they had Skarsgård's Pennywise and she was like, I want both of these. And I was like, <laughs> You don't want those. And she was like, No, I I, I want to use my money for this. I'm like, Hey, it's your money. If you want it, fine. So I <laughs> I, I I bring her home and, and my wife is like, Wow, okay, so we're just getting Pennywise action figures now. All right. And my daughter has them displayed. She's got the boxes on the wall. With the, she That's has them awesome. tacked up on the wall, but she has the figures out of them. But the figures are on top of the boxes that are tacked onto the wall. She has them displayed, some like little little collector, and she she's begging us. So we're we're obviously not. She's not ready to watch it. So we're obviously not letting her watch the movie. But the workaround is we let her watch the special features, so she can see that it's just actors performing, that they're real people, and that. You know, these are just characters that they're playing. So she has watched the special features for It 2017 a hundred times. She's watched uh, the behind-the-scenes from the 1990 miniseries as well. And I feel like the new It movie has really catapulted Pennywise, you know, even further into, you know, horror icon, which I think is is, is super cool. For sure, Yeah. No, I uh, I think that it, it did a, a really good thing for a new generation of horror fans, and uh, I'm really glad it got remade. But uh, Jeremy, I think it's I think it's you for number three. Beowulf, Beowulf, Beowulf. I'm talking about. Oh my god! Silver. It made it made all <laughs> of our lists. Silver bullet, dude. Yeah. This was one that I I adored as a kid. I I was like, you know what? I. I'd be okay with being crippled if I had that wheelchair. Like, oh, all right. <laughs> I'm like, dude, that wheelchair was badass. I wanted to be Corey Haim when I was a kid. Like, he always played the coolest characters. Always the coolest, always, dude. dude. Uh, even in Lucas. I mean, he he was still a Banff dude. He was a badass motherfucker. All right. Yeah. All right. All right. So, watching this one as a kid, and being the same age as the kids in this movie, uh, so being able to relate to them, what would I do in this situation? And I always 
I always love the kind of films like Fright Night where the kids know about the monsters and the monsters existing, but the parents don't believe or don't acknowledge it. Um, I love that. I don't know what it is. I still love that today. There's another movie that's out um, that came out a few years ago called The Wretched, which was basically Fright Night, but a witch next yeah. door, yeah, yeah, which yeah, I yeah. super fucking dug. If you guys haven't seen that, check that out. I really like that one. It's a good one. Um, but yeah, man, I, I've I've always loved silver bullet and you know what it's kind of like halloween h2o man yeah are the masks mostly shitty in that movie absolutely but the rest of the movie is so good i can forgive it and that's the same thing as the werewolf design in this movie it's not the best but everything else is so good i can live with it oh dude yeah i i holy shit i just remembered the story i remember um I, it wasn't the first time that I watched it, but I was staying at a family friend's house. My parents were out of town or some shit like that, and I watched Silver Bullet at their house, and it was on, like, USA Up All Night or some shit like that. And yeah. so I'm, like, staying in my parents' friend's house. There's, like, no other kids, and they're like, oh, this is the room that you're sleeping in. I'm like, all right, that's cool. Well, dude, they had, like, a bunch of woods and stuff behind their house, and I remember, like, as I was sleeping here, and, like, in the backyard, and I'm like, okay, what the fuck is that? And I just keep thinking about this bear wolf creature. Well, come to find out it was just acorns falling from trees and hitting the <laughs> ground. But, like, I heard them all night long, and I got the shittiest sleep because I was like, yep, it's the bear wolf. So, yeah, fun story. There it is. Dude, that opening scene, though, where, like, the woman is in her room praying. Oh, yeah. And she's pregnant, and the werewolf just creeps in through the POV. God, it's so fucking good. And then the mom comes in Terrifying. and just sees everything. Like, um, I love the movie, but I feel like with that scene, it just sets the tone, and maybe the rest of the movie doesn't live up to it. But it's, it's just so good. Justin, what about you? Number three. Uh, number three. Another one of my favorite filmmakers. This one is from 1976, and it's probably one of the most celebrated uh, Stephen King adaptations in terms of like award stuff and uh, you know critics. It's Carrie, mm-hmm. starring Sissy Spacek. Uh, th- this movie, I, it wasn't one that I loved as a kid or anything like that. I came to it much later in life as an adult because I think it's one of the most seriously taken King adaptations, and it's literally in my top 10 filmmakers of all time with Brian De Palma with uh, tour de force performance by a sissy SpaceX, which she actually got uh, Academy Award nomination for um, and uh, Piper Laurie as literally the most insane mother character of all time ever put to film. They'd never seen my uh, mom. It, <laughs> uh, well, you know what? Someday Brady, maybe you know, Jeremy's written movies. Yeah. Maybe you and him can sit down and write a fucking screenplay about your mom and you'll make a million fucking dollars. I'm sure Jason Blum would like to buy that script. He probably would. Right? He buys anything. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Well, listen, I mean, you've told these horror stories someday. Maybe maybe, maybe make it an anthology series. I could do that. You know? There's five of us kids. There. Five stories. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Um, but yeah, Carrie, I mean, um, for those interested, um, it was a long time ago. I think it was like three or four years ago. I actually did a full retrospective on the show on the film Carrie, um, which you'll get more detail on why I feel the way I do about it. But I mean, the movie deals with so many different themes. Bullying is, uh, I mean, at the time you didn't see bullying in movies like you do now where every fucking movie, you have to have a character that's bullied in order to connect with them. But back then... The type of bullying you see in the movie, I mean, uh, you know, when you see Nancy Allen, uh, PJ Souls, and all these other girls are like, the, the bullying is brutal. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's really fucking mean-spirited, and that's why, you know, that end scene at the dance is iconic. And the visual aspect with the split screen that De Palma does, which is his moniker, um, his trademark, if you will, just adds to the horror and it's just i think one of the best horror scenes of all time in any movie so it, it had to be on my list so carries at my number three perfect perfect pick um for me number three has already been mentioned um but i believe it is actually john carpenter's underrated masterpiece christine 
uh, and I said it, um, but I think what he's able to do by making a movie about a possessed killer car while keeping it actually scary was great. So I think the obsessive relationship between Arnie and his car, Christine, is very believable. I think the cinematography is impeccable, like especially the scene with Christine on fire chasing the bullies. Um, we're kept in awe as the audience, and we have suspense and disbelief of this car, just as the characters have through us only seeing the car through their perspectives, right? So like when the bullies are being chased, like we only see the car as they see the car, as the killer. Um, and I thought that the transformation of Arnie's mental and physical state are just masterful, it, especially with the score too. Like I just, I remember reading this book when I went on vacation to Massachusetts as a kid, I was like 14 and my cousin had it in her, her library. So I read it and I was just so fucking scared. And I was like, how the fuck is a car making me scared? And then I saw the movie and I was like, that's how, like it was one of the perfect from page to film adaptations I've ever seen. And like, I just, the 40th anniversary is this week. Uh, Sunday, I believe AMC is showing it in theaters. So I'll be there. I hope everybody else goes out to see it. But yeah, number three for me is Christine. Very nice. Great pick, man. I think the one thing also that needs to be overstated <clears throat> consistently is how amazing Keith Gordon is in that movie. He's so good. Because he's, pl- he's, playing, he's playing two different characters. Yeah. And him transcending even deeper into darkness, you can see his performance, just how brilliant it is. Not many people talk about him. I mean, we're, we, I was just talking about De Palma with Carrie. You know, he, he's worked with De Palma as well. Um, but he is just, like, he's gone on to do directing and stuff. I just love that performance so much. And it, as a kid, as a teenager, I connected so much with that character. Yeah. But no, we are I moving agree. on... To number, number two, two, Jeremy. About to drop a deuce. About to drop my deuce, deuce. The Shining. Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. Uh, it's damn near a perfect horror film, if not a perfect horror film. It is a slow burn. It takes its time to get there. It's literally a descent into madness. Uh, a lot of... Uh, analogies for alcoholism um, and the way that it can affect a family and utter, utter, again, madness. Uh, Jack Nicholson's performance is perfect. It's perfection. Mm-hmm. Um, when when he goes full crazy at the end and he's attacking his family, it's it's terrifying, and you absolutely believe it. I, I, I think all of the performances in the movie are, are spot on. Some of the creepiest, most imitated imagery ever is is in this film, whether it be... Overly imitated. Yeah, yeah, whether it be (laughs) the twins or the blood or the carpet, uh, the the tricycle. I mean, there's just so many iconic things that happen in this movie. And uh, this was not a movie that I loved instantly. Like, this... This was a movie that when I watched it as a kid, I was fucking bored, man, because like it's it's not action heavy. It really 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 takes its time getting there and as a kid I didn't understand that. Uh, I didn't understand that. Uh I did not understand. Uh but as an adult, I go back and I rewatch it and I'm like, dude, this is it just doesn't really get any better than this. So that's why it had to be my number 2. Oh, that's great. Do you so let me ask you this. Have you seen the nineteen nineties miniseries? I haven't. Version? I haven't. When you guys talked about that earlier, I was like, Man, I gotta I gotta check that out. I I I remember starting to watch it when I was younger, like as it was airing and being like, Yeah, I'm out. I'm out on this. Um But no, I, I haven't watched it in its entirety. And then also I'm going to go over, so The Shining is probably one of his most famous adaptations. Uh, So for casting, Stephen King did not like Nicholson at first. So some other people that were compared, I want to read these off real quick. Uh, Robin Williams was considered. Wow. Harrison Ford was considered. Wow. Um, And then they both met King's disapproval. 
And then he thought that because of his part in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, that the viewers would tend to consider him already unstable from the the beginning for Nicholson. So King really wanted John Voight, Michael Moriarty, or Martin Sheen for the role. Wow. What what do you guys think about that? Interesting choices. Um, I mean, I could... I could potentially see I could see Sheen in there maybe um, John Voight I, I mean he also consistently comes off as be, have, his eyes are always wild no yeah what he does Anaconda you know baby bird yeah for sure um, <laughs> and Moriarty I don't really have anything so to comment on with that but you know um, it, it's much like a lot of other roles where you're it's so ingrained in your brain seeing Jack Nicholson as Jack Torrance and and just I can't really see anyone else in that role in that version of that movie. So, yeah, it's it's fun to look back at it now seeing like what it is, you know. Um I also think that it's interesting that Kubrick had been sent proofs of the novel um and that King had already, you know, had a best-selling novel that turned into a blockbuster with Carrie. Um but Kubrick had been considered um for directing a horror film for some time. Um he had also refused to direct The Exorcist, which at this time... That's right. Because at that point, he was only doing his own shit at he, that time. Yeah, and this was breaking box office records. So uh, it's just kind of funny how all that works out. Um, but yeah, so for the next one, Justin, what about you? What do you got? Oh, well, my number two. We're already to number two. Holy yeah. shit. I don't want to get buried in a pet cemetery. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I'm not even going to lie to you guys. Uh, The end of this list was kind of difficult because I'm like, there's a few movies that I could potentially put here. I I went back to rewatchability, you know, how important the movie was to my childhood. You know, I hate using that terrible term, does it hold up kind of thing, but in terms of my own personal view. Um, but Pet Cemetery, you know, uh, to me, it's still one of the most terrifying movies uh, that I remember from my childhood. Uh, and it's got Fred Gwynn. And I love how he just continues to say, it's that damn road. That damn like, road. That's literally the fucking reason I put it at number two, because he said that damn road so <laughs> many times that it just had to be on the list. Um I mean, in terms of if actual performances, I've actually said this, uh, I think, when a few years ago when I reviewed the, the new adaptation. Uh, I think the acting in this version from 1989 is extremely over the top, but I think it works really well with the material. Um, it's hard to say if it's intentional or not. I know that people say that it's not. Um, but Mary Lambert did a brilliant job at adapting the material and creating something that's really fucking scary um, and character-driven where you really feel for this family. So, of course, again, that damn road, that's why it's at number two. And also, um, <coughs> Miko Hughes mm-hmm. is, is, I mean, he, he's only a toddler in the movie. Um, you know, and he went on to do plenty of awesome stuff. You know, it was a new nightmare and... He just actually just was part of a you know a nightmare fan film that came out that's getting a lot of praise right now. He's he's terrifying as a toddler in the movie, but I will always prefer his performance where he mentions that boys have a penis and girls have a vagina. Mm. So, there it is. But he's great in the fucking movie. Number two, Pet Cemetery. Nice. Uh, my number two. So we're gonna kind of take a detour here, um, and it might not be an overtly horror-centric movie, uh, but there are a lot of horrific aspects in it. Number two for me is uh, David Cronenberg's The Dead Zone. Um, I personally believe that The Dead Fantastic Zone is, is one of Stephen King's saddest stories, cover to cover, and the movie gives it a tremendous effort in adaptations. So planted right in the middle, think of the release of Cujo and Christine. This one goes right in the middle. And it's one of King's more science fiction pieces, like kind of like Firestarter was. Um, but it's about a young teacher, Johnny Smith, played by the brilliant Christopher Walken, who falls into a coma after an accident and wakes up years later, not only having to face the idea that the world has moved on, but that now he has the gift of seeing people's futures. And what's crazy to me, too, is that this was the second movie that Cronenberg made that year. Do you know what the other one was? Either of you? Nope. Videodrome. Damn. So think like he did Videodrome and then he did this movie. 
Uh, but I think Cronenberg's approach to the film was just a masterclass in adaptation. So King's Story is like a very folksy, small-town tale, and then Cronenberg comes in and kind of counters it with this more detached, forensic approach to a story that really serves it well. And the key to this movie, success, lies with Christopher Walken's performance that just hinges on like those facial expressions and his his deliberate pauses. Like especially when he finds out that like his his girlfriend before the coma, Sarah, has moved on with her life, as you would if somebody's been in a coma for like five years. Um, but it's just it's like it's so powerful. And I think for me, like watching this, like even though it's not a horror forward movie, like those moments where like you're realizing life has passed you by or that like you're falling behind or you're like having to isolate yourself because of this new gift you have, like that is also scary to me, you know? And so while it doesn't have many scares, it's saturated in this sense of like ultimate sorrow and mournfulness. And um, what's funny, some behind the scenes stuff too is like, so King originally wrote a script for this, which is he's known to do. He likes to have a, a, a big hand in what is made. Um, and Cronenberg has gone on record being like, it was an awful script. Like it was just, it was awful. Uh, but basically halfway through the film, you go to Castle Rock and you're focused on this, this serial killer, Frank Dodd, who is going around killing young women. Um, so in King's, original manuscript he wanted the movie from that point to just focus on this killer and become like a slasher and Cronenberg was like yeah we're we're not doing that like we can we can put part of it on that but we're going to focus on the larger story of like Martin Sheen going for president and and wanting to launch the nuclear codes it's just it's a really sad story that does not have a happy ending and like for me that's a real horror and like that's really scary so number two is the dead zone love it yeah all right jeremy oh shit we're we're down to the number one stephen king adaptation jeremy i know what it it is what is it what's mine i don't know what it is your number one is gonna be probably 1408 yeah, Samuel Jack. <laughs> what, what do you what do you what do you guys what do you guys think? Oh. My number one. I think you're all right, Justin. You go first. It's it's not the mist. I know that. No, it's not. I, I do like know. that movie. Um, you do, but it's not your number one. It's good. It it almost made my list, but it didn't. I think your number one is gonna be <laughs> Carrie. Okay, Justin. I I already guessed out, man. You already guessed. No idea. Oh, okay. No, unless 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 it's also unless it's also going to be Pet Cemetery. No, nope. uh, it's it from 2017, man. Um, oh, dude, it. Oh my God. It from 2017. It, bro. Hit me, bro. Hit me. It's my number one too. Is it really? <laughs> oh my God. Why don't you guys just? Go <laughs> it's hug my it number out? one too. <laughs> All right, let's yeah. just let's let's no, no, let's knock them out together. I'm shocked, man. Yeah, dude, it. The way that this movie made me feel when I was leaving the theater after having just saw it, it was so reminiscent to how A Nightmare in Elm Street made me feel when I was a kid. And I, exactly. I've, I've, I've brought <laughs> Elm Street up several times throughout uh, this this particular podcast. But um, that's how this movie made me feel. Like, I got out of the movie theater and, and I'm like, man, they cast kids as kids. There was this malevolent threat in Pennywise that we had not seen on the big screen for such a long time. It was exciting. I found it scary. I forgave the bad CGI because everything else worked so well. It was so well casted. Um, I, I just walked out of the theater and was on cloud nine. That feeling does not happen to me very often. And, Mm -hmm. It's still something that I'm like, man, it's it's so rare when it happens. So when it does happen, it's special. And to me, this movie is special. So I, I had to pick this one as my yeah. number one. There, there's so – like, dude, the sandbox for Stephen King movie adaptations is so long. You know, like, if we were – I mean, dude, you know John Carpenter is my favorite filmmaker of all time. I didn't even put Christine on my list. Um 
because there's just so many movies that have been adapted from Stephen King work uh, that I just didn't have have room for it. And this was always going to be my number one because of how it made me feel seeing it and how how much I still appreciate the movie. Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, like, like I said earlier, for it, it's like that really showcases King's ability to write, like that coming of age character. And even Muschietti came on record and said that, you know, part of it reads as being a kid is learning how to live and being an adult is learning how to die. And there's a bit of a metaphor of that, and it just happens in a very brutal way over the course of his film. Yeah, that's, so, that's pretty heavy, man. Yeah, great pick. Yeah, it's some heavy shit. And I think for me uh, in particular, one of the big things on that movie, you know, aside from the obvious, you know, we have a brand new horror icon with a performance by Bill Skarsgård that was, I mean, Jeremy, what you were saying about him being like a new icon, literally my my critic quote, because I saw the movie at a press screening, that's how long, this was 2017, but it was rare when I would get into press screenings at that point, but it was like, Bill Skarsgård does for Pennywise and It what Robert Englund did for Freddy Krueger in Nightmare on Elm Street. That was literally my quote for the movie. And, I yep. mean, he transformed into this version of this character. And I love Tim Curry. I grew up with Tim Curry. I appreciate Tommy Lee Wallace's version. Um, but I think what Bill did was far above and beyond. Like, he literally lived ate and shit this fucking character and just sunk right into it. And I love the makeup job. But it's the kids, man. I think it's the kids. And it's what Brady was saying before, especially with this being set in 89, I connected with all of it. Like, everything they were doing, it was like going to the arcade. And, you know, they even had Batman 89 on the theater marquee because it was the summer of 89. They had a nightmare movie as well. You know, and the similarities between this version of It and a nightmare movie are extremely... I mean, it felt like a Nightmare on Elm Street movie. And I loved all of those aspects of it. I just, but again, the characters, the writing. I loved the score. Everything about this movie was just fantastic. And a lot like you, Jeremy, remembering what it meant to me. It was like... It had been a long time since we'd had like a huge cultural thing with a horror movie. And this movie, when it came out became one of the biggest box office successes of all time at the time in terms of a horror movie. And you just felt it. It was a cultural thing. Like, people were wearing Pennywise shirts at the mall, and, you know, everyone was talking about it. It was just like this huge event, and I'm just happy that I got to live through one of those. And everything about the movie I love still to this day. Chapter 2, not going to mention. Yeah, same. Um, but yeah. We've, always known that the, we've always known that the first half of that story is always been the strongest and it's the it's so funny now, because so. I literally just had a conversation with my wife about this. I'm like, you know, kids, you're fearful that when they're in peril, you're you know you you feel dread when they're in danger. You you want to reach through the screen and help them because they're children, right? Adults, it's like, ah, well, you've already lived your your fucking life, and now that you're an adult, like you just don't feel the same kind of fear for adults that you do for kids uh so i feel like that's where the second half of that story is always inferior because it's like it's just not as scary in my opinion when it's grown adults coming back together to fight a monster as it is when it's a group of kids fighting a monster yeah sure I, uh, yeah, agreed. you know, for Muschietti, for, there's a couple of things that he said about the movie. So like when he talks about like King's influence on his approach to making the movie, he says, you know, we were fans of horror at a very early age and we were exposed to horror movies very early in life. So there was this addiction we carried very early, which I think, you know, like you and you and Jeremy here, Justin, like you guys have said that on this podcast for many years, like as kids, you had this, like I came to it late. Right. Um, but then he says, and then came Stephen King. We were very big fans of his. He's my literary hero. It all started with Pet Cemetery, but then it came along. And for me, it was a mind blowing experience. My first reaction when offered the opportunity to direct this movie was basically to go back to my emotional experience reading the book when I was a child and translating that into a movie that would blow my mind as an adult. And these were the big ideas when approaching the making of this movie. And then he also credits um, influences for it were um, 
the visceral authority of horror cinema, such as The Howling, Jeremy, here you go, The Thing, Boom. Uh, Near Dark. I didn't, men- I didn't spoke- mention The Thing until right now. I had to bring it up for you, yeah. Uh, he also spoke of the influential contributions of Clive Barker, John Carpenter. He said of the influence of Steven Spielberg in the way of understanding story and filmmaking because he had such a strong emotional element to all of his stories. And I, I think that's like... You know, we can talk about the horror of it and like how visceral that is, but like, like I, like I keep going back to like it's just, it's not just a horror story. It's, it's an emotional story of, of love and friendship and, and bonds that take you through life, and like that's what makes it so endearing and also so tragic for what happens. So great pick, love it, Boom. Justin. Here you are, number one. No, uh, yeah, that was it. That was it. That was my number one. one. Oh my god, you said it. Yeah. Well, Justin, anything you want to add? No, that's it. That, uh, that's literally, that was it. All right. Well, my number one. Can you guys guess? Anything? Have I been? Have I been pretty? Well, I know you're not allowed to do Salem's fucking. No, lot, I can't do fucking so Salem's you're not lot. Be Even though that. I have to plug it right now, <laughs> that I need to get the fucking Salem's Lot remake out and now. I don't care if it's good. I don't care if it's bad. You just need to give it to me. Please send it to me. Email it to me. Bcloven at yahoo.com. Please. <laughs> All right. Any guesses before I go? I, mm. uh, I mean, you haven't said it, but I feel like you would have maybe joined in with us. I said it. It twenty seventeen was on. Yeah, there. he did. He said it. Yeah. All right. Well, fuck me. Um, yeah. <laughs> this is what happens when we record this late at night, ladies <laughs> and gentlemen. Because uh, we're old. Anything? I got nothing. Misery. All right. For me, number one is 1989's Mary Lambert's Pet Cemetery. Boom. God, it's such a fucking good movie, even though it's so bad, you know? <laughs> and it's just like, like Justin said, it's like you got Fred Gwynn in there, but you got Dale Midkiff, you got Denise Crosby, Miko Hughes. It's it's so fucking good. And those New England accents of that damn road or don't go down that road. And it's, I don't know, it's just, for me, like, reading the book is one thing, but watching that movie, and I actually showed uh, Jenny this movie, and I remember we watched it, and, you know, Church, the cat, gets killed, and she's like, that really sucks, like, that sucks, and then you're at the scene in the field where, like, they're all, like, Just wait! They're flying flying the kites, and every time Gage came on the film, she was like, oh, he's so cute, and I was like, yeah, he is, and then as that scene happened, she was like, no. And he's like running towards the road and she's like, don't, please, come on, don't tell me he dies. Please don't tell me. And yep. then he gets hit by the truck and I was like, that's that's what it is. But like this whole story of like this guy who had his life in front of him and he had the I, you know, the idyllic family and they move up, up to New England and then he just gets so bogged down by this sense of loss and he's like, I have to right this wrong and I had to, I had to keep keep going after it and he he buries his son there and the son comes back and destroys his family and then he still doesn't learn his lesson like it's just it's so fucking good it's so fucking scary because it's like the way they they blend his dreams with pascal and pascal coming in as the the comedic relief but also like still terrifying as like the sleep paralysis demon in a way like it's it's so good and it's it's one that i had to put on anytime that i just want to watch a stephen king movie like when i think Stephen King, I think Pet Cemetery, and that's why it has to be my number one. Well, just just to comment on this, because you went and saw the new one with me, I did, and you didn't hate that version either. I didn't. I they they took some creative liberties. They changed the ending, but like, I still liked it. Like, I felt like the story was still intact. And I remember um, our listener Corey was on there too, and and he didn't hate it either at the time, but he wasn't happy with it. Um, and he's also an avid reader of of Stephen King, so like he's a good resource for it too. But like, I was fine with it. Like, it's it's one that I will still throw on after I watch Pet Cemetery. And also, like to to go a step further, like Pet Cemetery Pet Cemetery Two is still a really great fucking movie. Like, it has nothing really to do with the original book, but it's still a really good, terrifying Halloween film for me. I mean Clancy Brown as a stepdad who's possessed by the pet cemetery. Like, what? What more can you ask? Yeah, Terrifying. he's great in the movie for sure. Terrifying. He's great. Um, and also, I do want to talk about in Pet Cemetery the character of Zelda. Yep. Like, 
we didn't talk about that, but being casted by, I think it's Andrew Hubastek. Hubastank? Uh, terrifying. Hubastank, the reason. Um, but the reason is terrifying in those seasons with like spinal meningitis where she's just like creeping across the floor, like taunting her sister. Like that is honestly one of the most scary parts of the film. But yeah, that's my number one. I dig it. You guys have any... Uh, Amazing. You guys have any... Uh, anything to add to that? You have any... Uh, th- I mean, that movie to... scared the shit out of me when I was a kid. Um, and I remember my aunt telling me that she saw it in theaters when it came out and that she literally got up and left when when Gage died. She was like, nope, yeah. I'm out. That was enough for me. Um, and also the whole, the whole... First I played with Mommy... Then I played with Judd. Now I want to play with you. Terrifying. Terrifying. Yeah. No, it's amazing. I think the only thing to add, Brady, great pick. Uh, iconic, classic horror film. Um, you know, that it had a, a female director behind it. And at the time, that was not that was not something that you saw all the time. Yeah. And the movie was made for like $11 million and it was a massive financial success. It made like $90 million. Huge success. Um and I think she did a brilliant job with the material. But uh, great picks all around. I actually did not take the time to do any honorable mentions or anything like that because I was like, listen, uh, I'll be sitting here for fucking three hours doing that and just didn't didn't feel it necessary. Also, um, I just wanted to comment because I'm sure people are going to be like, what the fuck, dude? You didn't have The Shining on your list at all? I love The Shining. Mm-hmm. I do. I love the movie. Um And I'm not the reader you are in terms of owning all of King's books and knowing all the material firsthand, but just considering the fact that, you know, how King felt about it, I just said, you know what, I'm just going to push it aside for now. And also, um, much like Jeremy said, growing up, it wasn't wasn't a movie that was important to me then, but it is important to me now as an adult. Um, But ladies and gentlemen, that is it for our top five Stephen King adaptations. That is it. It, it 2017 in 1980. You want a balloon? You'll all float. Um, Jesus Christ, I love his fucking delivery. Uh, man. Um, but yes, ladies and gentlemen, that is it for this countdown. We hope you enjoyed it. Let us know what your picks are for your favorite Stephen King film adaptations in the comments section of whatever the post is that you're seeing this on. Uh, if you like the show, if you love the show, if you think Brady's takes... No, actually, I'm not going to put Brady down wow. on this one. You did a right. fantastic job. No Ice Nine Kills hate here for that. I mean, seriously, props on all the love here. Um, but if you like what you're hearing, please uh, do us a favor. It helps us reach more awesome horror fans and film fans such as yourselves. Leave us a review on iTunes or Spotify. It's even easier. Just click a fucking button and add stars. You don't even have to say anything. Um, And also, if you're not following us yet on social media, we're at Epic Film Guys on every platform available. I don't even have to name them all. But that's it. And uh, we look forward to delivering more spooky content for you for Halloween season this year. But until next time, I'm Justin. I'm Jeremy. I'm a Biratti. And as always, we like to ask you to keep it creepy. creepy.